Hello, and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Toby Hemmings. Coming to you from the studios of Radio 2SER in Sydney, on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, and right around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Each week, we take a closer look at the numbers that make up the news. This program is made possible with the assistance of the UTS Business School. Today, we're taking a look at the growing expectation that investment decisions take on a socially conscious approach. More companies are investing based around ESG considerations. Now that stands for environmental, social and governance considerations, which can broadly include incorporating gender diversity into a company or into a board, the carbon emissions of investments and other ethical commitments that a company pledges to achieve for its investors. Now, some of the biggest equities and investors in the world have committed to ESG investing. Think of BlackRock, pledging to sell its shares in fossil fuel producers. This stance is not only an ethical choice, but it's also suggested that these funds are outperforming the mainstream market, that there is profit to be made by choosing ethically. As the European Union and the United States take steps to grow the ESG investing industry through government regulation, the question is whether Australia can match up and whether ESG is more than a flash in the pan. To discuss this further, I was joined earlier by Cassandra Williams, Certification and Ratings Manager at the Responsible Investment Association Australasia, and Daniel Logue, Associate Professor and the Director of the Centre for Business and Sustainable Development at the UTS Business School. To start, Cass, I might get you to tell us a bit more about RIA and what your organisation does in terms of ESG. Yeah, good question, Toby. So RIA is an industry body. Um, we see ourselves as the central point, um, the arbiter of information and standards when it comes to what in what responsible investment practices should be adhered to in, in Australia. I run our certification and ratings program. And so this means that we take um, some really key assessment framework and we apply it to a range of products from Aussie equities to super funds to property funds to banking products. And what we're looking for is does the product deliver on what it's actually saying that it's going to deliver? You know, we look at you know, what is the documentation that's out in the marketplace? What is the portfolio constituents that um, you know, make up your investment? In terms of quantifying ESG, what is the criteria that determines whether an investment actually does fall into ESG? Is it this kind of subjective measure imposed by different organisations or is it standardised? There's lots of different ways to implement responsible investment into your portfolio. You know, we look, we, we touched on ESG. So we look at, you know, how is a particular stock based on ESG analysis? We can look at negative screening. So screening out stocks that don't fit with what your portfolio or what your values are aligned with. Um, we look at positive tilts. So you want to be invested in particular areas. Or we even look at sustainability-themed investing or even impact investing and creating um, real-world outcomes. So there's lots of different ways to implement responsible investment into your por- 
portfolio, what we see most commonly in our products is negative screening. Now, that sounds simple, but it's not simple. Let's take tobacco as an example. On the ASX 300, we don't have any tobacco producers in our portfolio, but internationally we do. How do we measure if tobacco production is in our portfolio? It's really quite simple. We look at it from a revenue base. Are you deriving any money from any revenue producers? If yes, then has your fund said that you're completely tobacco free? Then we would have to ask some questions. And so RIA takes on this role in our certification program where we assess the different products and we look at this granular level. And at the moment, we have um, over 250 certified products that are available to investors uh, in in our certified product suite. Now, there is a lot more products out there in the market that are saying that they're responsible investment. And it doesn't mean that what they are doing is not correct. It just means that we haven't checked it. Um, and so you don't have that independent verification because that's what RIA is. We're, we're, we're independent um, and we have set criteria to say that, yes, they are tobacco-free. Danielle, do we need to standardise what we mean when we say ESG to make sure investors know what this can mean? I mean, technically, if you, if you look at this, we need some type of standardisation and certification if the ultimate aim is to build out a liquid market for these investments. It's going to take a while to, to move towards that. Part of moving towards that is trying to get some consistent measures and certifications and standards for some of this stuff to make it easier for investors. Already, we're seeing organisations using the UN Sustainable Development Goals to match what they're doing under these broader goals and saying how they're contributing in that way. So whilst that can be quite high level using the SDGs, it is something that we're seeing the investor community really grab onto and everyone can really understand at a a broad aggregate level. Obviously, each deal or each enterprise would need to then justify a bit further saying to SDG 5 if you're looking at equality and so on. But that has been a very useful and rapidly diffused mechanism, measurement system in a way. But on the other side is an investor education piece, realising the inherent challenges of measuring, say, childhood wellbeing. What does that look like after five years or 10 years of a particular piece of investment? And being a little bit more open to say, these measures are going to look a little bit different. The demands that you might put on enterprises to show this need to be a little bit different. You might need to consider more qualitative research overall to show you that social impact. So it's my view. I mean, I'm more of an economic sociologist. It's inherently difficult to try and quantify all aspects of social life. I don't think we can actually get there and I don't think we should get there. So we need an investor education piece as well to look at what are the understandings of social impact. I think we should take a step back here for a minute and explain what environmental, social and governance standards mean in practical terms. A lot of organisations, for example, talk about having a net zero commitment by a set date uh, without necessarily explaining how they'll do this. Would this satisfy a um, ESG commitment, for example, or is that closer to greenwashing or pinkwashing? Is it more of a performative gesture? When we talk about responsible investment products, one key factor when myself and my team are analysing the vast array of responsible investment products on the market is we're looking at greenwashing. And that is, does your product deliver what you expect it to deliver? And this is really important because what you want to be buying is what 
the product is actually delivering. A really good way to look at this is with your superannuation fund. And what we've seen is that more and more super funds are bringing ESG or environmental, social and governance factors into how they construct their portfolio. And it's really for two reasons. One is performance, because what we've seen consistently over the short and the long term is that funds that look at responsible investment are performing better in the market. And this is, you know, largely from looking at new opportunities in terms of sustainable investment or renewable energy and looking at alternatives that can deliver real value in terms of performance to the portfolio. And then the second part is about mitigating risk because what you don't want to be investing in something that doesn't have a long-term view in your investment markets. I think that's a great point. And validating that impact is a really important part of these emerging markets, these investment markets. And I don't think there's one easy solution for that. It can involve having certification or standards. It might involve having auditing. There's a role for academics and university researchers. There's a role for NGOs as well. There's a role for government departments if they're doing certain social procurement practices, for example, and following through and making sure that's the case. So in terms of getting that impact validation, having some accountability there to greenwashing, impact washing, pink washing, as you mentioned, there are multiple ways to approach that. We need all those levers being pulled. A lot of the current hype around ESG concerns investors and equities divesting from fossil fuels, such as, for example, BlackRock. How are investors using their financial decisions to shift the needle on certain controversial products or assets that don't accord with their personal ethics or morals? Renewable energy is um, driving a lot of this. So looking at the performance, but it's also looking at the risk. And the risk is twofold. One, investors don't want to be invested in tobacco producers. They don't want to be invested in companies that are creating chemical weapons. And so this isn't a really important part because investors don't want this. And so the investment products need to meet this investor demand and investors are just becoming far more savvy. If we look at our research that tells us that nine in 10 Australians just automatically expect that their investments will not be doing harm, well, what constitutes that doing harm? You know, is it fossil fuel exposure? Is it tobacco? Is it gambling? The second part is where are the opportunities and what do you want to invest in? Do you want to invest in health? Do you want to invest in um, renewable energy solutions? We always talk about your finances are being really hard to engage with, but what we've found is that from this level and from a um, a non-financial level almost, It's easy to engage because you know you don't want to be invested in a company that has human rights abuses. You know, you don't want to be invested in a company that that produces tobacco. When I had to explain this to my 16-year-old daughter who was first job and looking to get her first super fund, what she said to me was, it's really important that I look for something that's not doing any harm. And so that was an important consideration for her but not just for my daughter. I mean, nine out of 10 Australians believe that their funds shouldn't be doing harm. So a key component that we're looking for is avoiding significant harm. So it's not only from, you know, doing good for people, planet and the environment, but it's also about your risk. 
annual return um, trade-off. Danielle, we've touched on the environmental aspects of ESG, but there's also the uh, social and governance aspects. You know, I'm thinking, for example, of the loss of investor confidence in AMP Capital following the harassment scandal that engulfed their uh, workplace culture. Are these sorts of social issues moral dilemmas for an investor or are they a serious risk to business? And are these two separate? That's a business risk, not only a moral issue there. That is a business risk. Uh, Consumers react to those scandals, the stigma, the reputational damage that is actually done there. You know, the business case is clear on some of these issues, on modern slavery, looking into your supply chains, on working conditions, on equal opportunities and gender lens investing, investing in women because there's a big credit gap there globally. So there's a clear business case there already. And the discussion now is shifting to, well, the business case is clear. We don't have any movement on that. It's a moral case as well. It is the right thing to do. You know, a growing part of the impact investing market is a gender lens investing or gender wise investing, which is about integrating a gender consideration into investment analysis. Uh, and this is important. The UNDP has come out saying there's almost $5 billion under management if you take a gender lens to this. Um, and we need more of that because there's still a $1.5 trillion credit gap for women. So this gender lens is about funding women-owned businesses or businesses with a strong track record of employing women, women on the board, women in leadership positions, or companies that are also improving the lives of women and girls with their products and services. So that is an interesting and I think hopeful piece of that impact investing market that is starting to emerge as well and that also has perhaps some easily uh, measurable outcomes that might attract investment. How far away are we from ESG kind of becoming the norm and what does this mean for you know other industries that are inherently not going to fit within this criteria yeah, but it all it all comes down to risk toby so you know if you have human rights abuses um, within your company how is that going to translate to the bottom line it's not going to do well for it so why would you want that company in your investment portfolio because that's what you're looking at getting. You're looking at getting returns. And we look at this from a num- from very much from a numbers base. FUM in certified products has grown over 124% in the last five years. It's quadrupled over the past 10 years. So the numbers are only going one way and that is up. And more and more products and when I say products, you know, let's face it, they're invested in underlying assets where a lot of that is equities, is a lot of that is based on publicly listed companies. If the underlying assets are not implementing the responsible investment practices that are expected, then the funds won't invest in them. I think it's even more than that. It's not just a nice to have or something to stand out in your in your marketing. It just makes inherent business sense to start thinking about all these issues. If you looked at the gender lens piece, I mean, you've got women as your employees. You've got women as your consumers as well. It just makes business sense to start taking this stakeholder view of what is happening in your industry, what is happening in your business as well. 
It's really important when we're talking about investment markets to not get bamboozled by all the financial language. There's a clear role that each of us at an individual level can pay. We're all having our superannuation funds, but we also need to drive for systemic change too. And there's a very important role for government in setting the direction for these investments, providing certainty, de-risking some of these ideas. So we move in this direction too. So I never want us to forget, I think, the role of government, the really productive role of government in setting the rules for these emerging markets to make sure that we all benefit. We'll get back to the government aspect in a minute. But Danielle, I just wanted to ask, you've been studying this area for a while now as part of your focus on impact investing. How has ESG grown and changed since you first came across this issue? Phenomenally, and these conversations we're seeing are appearing right from our undergraduate students at UTS Business School, right to the conversations with our MBAs, to our work with industry on different research projects, to government policy work that we also do. So that conversation is absolutely happening. I would say it's lagging in Australia. There's lots of bigger investment deals, especially in the environmental side of things, that are already happening. Often in conversations that we're having overseas with our international partners, you no longer need to try and make the business case, especially on the environmental side of things. Business has already moved. Investment has already moved. The conversation is around not trying to be left with stranded assets and things like that. So we do see, I think, that conversation lagging in Australia. But the money is doing the walking. It is already moving. So that is a positive thing to see. When you say that the conversation is lagging, what are the things that are holding us back compared to, you know, if you look at somewhere like the EU where they've um, recently passed regulations requiring uh, certain levels of uh, disclosure to say if you are going to say that you're an environmentally aware company that you have to satisfy certain criteria, what's lacking in the Australian scope for uh, that type of discussion at the moment? I think obviously over the past decade or couple of decades, we've had a problematic conversation with climate change and getting that recognition of the science there that climate change is occurring. Other countries have moved well ahead of us there and have agreed and settled, accepted the science. So that has been problematic. But also as part of that conversation is when you don't have a government that is providing the investment and business community with certainty, with direction and saying these are the areas that we will invest in, these are the industries that we want to see grow, the future growth uh, sources for jobs and employment as well. When you don't have that certainty, the investment will go elsewhere. So I think that's been part of the difficulty in Australia when you've had that money moving offshore, um, when we don't have that investment happening here to also direct the conversation. How do you think ESG can continue to grow in Australia, both within the market and potentially supported by the government down the track? It's, It's a difficult question, Matt. I think there are some interesting product developments going on and there are some really progressive businesses and progressive government departments as well across Australia that are working together to develop and design new funding mechanisms, new investment products as well. The Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade has moved particularly in this area in being part of uh, a women's livelihood bond that's being run through Singapore through the investment exchange there. They're contributing with USAID, I believe with Morgan Chase as well. So big funders there to say, we will actually do this and we will get the evidence to show you this will actually work. And having investment products like that, like the women's livelihood bond, 
actually it gets at that problem of investors saying, oh, well, these deals are too small for me. You know, the big pension funds and so on can't fund some smaller social enterprises and things like this in the region. Having a product like that, working together, the government being involved to be a first loss investor or de-risk that a little bit can move the money. We are already seeing evidence of that. Cass, when looking at these international changes from the Biden administration leaning towards additional climate change disclosures and a potential ESG disclosure framework to the European Union's new regulations that will require ESG disclosures on whether firms consider the principal adverse impacts on sustainability of their investment decisions, how does Australia comparatively stack up? Yeah, well, I mean, Australia is doing well. I mean, we can always do better. Um, in the EU, they have released um, requirements um, called the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Requirements, which actually puts up a, a tighter uh, requirement on the product labelling and what the product can say that, that it does um, and actually putting that into a legislative form. And so that's really important. But a lot of our funds in Australia look at this and look at this from because potentially they're they're stemming from a European investment bank. So a lot of that is already flowing into the Australian market. And regardless of what's happening in the legislative sense, the products are doing it because it's meeting invested demand. And so making, and, and that's why I think I'm so busy and my team is so busy is because they actually want that independent verification to say their product is doing well and their product is meeting the responsible investment criteria that we have set, that RIA has set. And it's not easy. It's not easy to pass. Um, A lot of our funds, um, we provide feedback as to what they would need to do to pass. Uh, And, uh, you know, it is, uh, it's, the market is moving really quickly. And what we're doing in our certification program is ensuring the investors that if your product has been certified by RIA, then what they're delivering in terms of the responsible investment um, criteria, they are meeting that. And so a lot of our advisors or platforms or researchers or other distribution networks actually use that as the gold standard. And they say, okay, you have been awarded the RIA certification symbol, so therefore you've already passed a whole number of hurdles. Um, I was a judge for, this was actually for um, in another country, not in Australia, but I was a judge for um, a fund uh, for a whole series of ethical funds. And what I was finding was, you know, having that that level of assessment already done catapults a product into a whole different ballgame because it means that there's that due diligence that's already been done and, you know, everybody's happy that it's met the portfolio holdings disclosure and they've met the product labelling and the stewardship requirements. So then you can actually focus on, you know, some other key elements of that that product. What RIA only looks at responsible investment practices. So we don't look at performance, you know, as in part of our certification program. But we work really hard with many other researchers out there so that the investor can see that complete picture. And this is not only about responsible investment practices and um, in making sure that your money is invested for good and not doing harm, but responsible investment is so much more than that. It is about looking at exploring the opportunities and also considering the risk factors within your portfolio. 
Danielle, do you think ESG is more than a buzzword, that it's an industry expectation now? I think there's growing evidence that ESG investing is working, both for the business case and, of course, the moral case for that. The most recent uh, research that I've been doing, the conversations with with industry and not-for-profit sector as well, discussions have been around scaling. So if we have a particular investment product or a bond that we know is actually working, how can we either replicate that for different social problems or environmental problems, or how can we scale what we've got? So that seems to be the focus at the moment. I think that's an interesting space. Funds of funds is an interesting model. As I mentioned, the women's livelihood bonds, other work that DFAT is actually doing across the Asia-Pacific region, running a fund as well and being a first-loss investor. Those types of things can provide both evidence and direction so the other investors will follow in. Cass, your thoughts? The other key part here is that the majority of funds, so we look at it this, you know, a third of the market has some type of responsible investment overlay to it. And so even if you're not actively looking for a responsible investment product, it's probably already being incorporated into your portfolio or into your superannuation product. And this is because of the risk and the opportunity. So it doesn't even have to be marketed as a responsible investment product. It's probably already there because it just makes smart financial sense. But what's important here is responsible investment is not going away anytime soon. It is doubling, it is tripling. The market trajectory is massive um, and we only expect the responsible investment market to grow from here. Um, It is one of the key aspects of any financial product and um, it's only going to get bigger from here. That's all for today's panel. Thank you to my guests, Cassandra Williams and Associate Professor Daniel Logue. You can catch the full show online wherever you get your podcasts from. And don't forget to tell your friends or leave a review. I'm your host, Toby Hemmings. Have a great week.